All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. Thanks for listening in. Made it back home now from California after a long stop in Madison and Chicago to see some friends and some family that I hadn't seen in a long time. Actually, almost two years since I hadn't seen my cousin, and and we actually lived together for three years in college, so that was a lot of fun as well to go see him. But I'm back home now, and I found some time to do an episode here, which I'm excited about because there is a lot to talk about, mostly because we are in one of the best months for sports, and that is March. (laughs) Whether it be March Madness, college basketball, of course, which we have had plenty of that so far this year, and I'm sure we aren't done yet with that, NFL free agency frenzy, Started off great as well in this month of March. The NBA trade deadline is here as well and gone. March is just a fantastic month for sports, no doubt about it there. So I'm glad I found a moment to do this because turns out being home and safely seeing friends and family I haven't seen in a while takes up a lot of your schedule in a good way, no doubt about it. But still, um, I found some time here and, and we'll get started because as I mentioned, there is so much to get to and we'll start with the king of sports and that is the NFL Of course, NFL dominating the news recently with some draft pick trades, which we don't get to see very often, so these are very exciting. Mostly we see these on draft day, but we'll dive into those in a second. But I want to start with some older trades that we saw before free agency actually started with some of the bigger quarterback names, starting with Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. We'll get into that. We'll start there, and we'll work our way through free agency. I'll also touch on the NBA trade deadline, which I mentioned in this episode, and some moves made there, um, some moves that weren't made as well, and along with some injury news in the NBA as well, because we have some high-profile stars out right now due to injury. So we'll discuss that as well. And of course, we'll get to the March Madness brackets, because I believe today, what is today, the 27th of March that I'm recording this, is today is the start of the Sweet 16 games. And so we'll discuss some of the Cinderella teams and uh, some of the some of the upsets and, and some of the team and who we think might be able to move on and we'll get to the final four from there. So that's what we got ahead of for this episode today. So thanks for tuning in and we'll go ahead and get started here with the NFL and that trade that sent Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams and Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions. So the Rams, along with sending Jared Goff, also sent two first round picks and a third round pick to the Lions to get Matthew Stafford in a trade. And this is something that Sean McVay is kind of been wanting. I mean, he got to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. A lot of people thought that if Sean McVay could get an upgrade at the quarterback spot, that maybe he could uh, lead this team even further. I mean, he's been to the playoffs multiple times in his three seasons, I believe, or maybe this is going into his fourth season now as the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams. So he gets a lot of people, the the underappreciated Matthew Stafford, that's for sure. A lot of people in the NFL don't underappreciate him, but he gets underappreciated in the media a lot. So he gets to go to the Los Angeles Rams. He's from Los Angeles as well, I believe, or from the, the California area. But now it's going to be Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, and they're going to be working with that offense of Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, Tyler Higby, and then along with the new, it's going to be a second-year running back now in Cam Akers. They're also going to have to work on that offensive line in Los Angeles to make sure that they can protect Matthew Stafford, we know how tough Matthew Stafford is in, in some of the injuries that he's played through, but still, you want to keep him upright because you brought him over for a reason, just uh, how talented that this guy is. You see a lot of the a lot of the throws that Patrick Mahomes and, and Aaron Rodgers are making where the, the no looks or the, the sidearms. Matthew Stafford, in my opinion, has maybe the best sidearm throw. He, he throws most of his 
past his sidearm, it looks like, to get around some of these defenders. So it'll be fun to see him in Los Angeles uh, under working with with a lot of people call a, an offensive guru in Sean McVay. And we'll see how that uh, works out. So that'll be exciting for, for Matthew Stafford and the Rams. The Rams also have one of the top defenses as well. We saw it last year. I think they had the number one or number two ranked defense with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey leading the way. Now with an offense that can kind of back it up, we've we've seen that the defense kind of carried them a little bit last year, which is weird to think when you have the coach like Sean McVay. But they had the number one defense that kind of carried them and, and, and helped along the way with the offense that lagged behind. Now they're hoping that Matthew Stafford can be that complimentary offensive piece where this just turns into a juggernaut team. But we'll have to see. I mean, the on the other on the flip side, then with Jared Goff going to the Lions, I mean the Lions are taking on a huge contract here. A lot of it is still uh, is dead is dead money cap for the for the Los Angeles Rams, but the Lions are taking on a huge contract here, and that's why you saw them get two first round picks for the Rams. Actually, I think I saw on uh, social media where the the Rams don't have they don't own their first round pick until is it maybe like twenty twenty six or something like that because they've owed. They owe at least one more, I believe, to the Jacksonville Jaguars in that Jalen Ramsey deal that they did. And now they owe two more to the Detroit Lions in this Matthew Stafford deal. So they might not own their first-round pick until maybe 2025 or something like that. But anyways, the Lions do this deal. Matthew Stafford, they've they've had him there for 10 years, maybe 10 years or more now. At this point, they've made the playoffs, I think, once. They're thinking, all right, we got a new head coach in Dan Campbell. We got a new general manager in Brad Holmes. Why don't we kind of start this rebuild now? We gave our new head coach a six-year deal. He comes in all fired up, but now they have Jared Goff, who, believe it or not, a former number one overall pick, is going to be used as a stopgap quarterback at this point. So he'll be the starter probably this year and probably next year. In the Lions, they own the seventh overall pick this year. They Some of the top quarterbacks might not be available at seven. So they can build up this roster, still have Jared Goff and win some football games. And then once they find who they want to be their next franchise quarterback, they can easily, not easily, but in a couple of years, they can easily move on from Jared Goff. The reason I say they can't easily do it now is because his contract is so massive that they won't be able to easily just uh, move on from that one today. But that's kind of how uh, this this deal looks to me. It's it's the Lions going towards another rebuild. And, and the reason I say another is it... it they weren't really rebuilding when they had Matthew Stafford because Matthew Stafford on any given day can throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns so they can win against any team. But now when you lose a Matthew Stafford like that and you kind of downgrade yourself to a Jared Goff, they're going to be using him as a stopgap quarterback. They got a brand new head coach and a general manager. Sometimes they just would, would get new head coaches. But now they got the new head coach and the general manager. Those two are going to work together hopefully to form this team to what they like and we'll see uh, how they built it from there. But the Los Angeles Rams, this is an all-in move for them right now. They don't have, like I said, their first-round pick for at least the next three or four years. They have the quarterback with the talent that can lead them. He hasn't been in many playoff games, but the Rams and Sean McVay have been in the playoff games, so we'll see. This is The NFC West is just absolutely loaded now with quarterbacks, I mean, or with teams. I mean, you got the Los Angeles Rams, made the playoffs last year. You got the Seattle Seahawks, who won the division last year. They've got their own problems that we can talk about at a later time, maybe in the next episode with Russell Wilson and and all that noise. But you got the Seahawks, then you got the San Francisco 49ers, who we're going to get to in just a little bit. 
with some of the news that they made yesterday. They're coming off of two years now off of being off the Super Bowl. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Bosa, all the injuries that I mentioned last year. Hopefully a lot of those guys will be coming back. And then you've got the Arizona Cardinals who we've got this new season coming up where they're going to be or where we'd already had this uh, seventh team and, and the Cardinals were eight and eight or nine and seven, just a team or just a game away from being in the playoffs as well. So, I mean, this NFC West is going to be loaded and the Rams are making an all in push with Matthew Stafford as their quarterback. They're putting all their, their literally all their draft picks in one, in one basket here with Matthew Stafford and hoping that it pays off. I think they've got the talent around Matthew Stafford and Matthew Stafford is very talented enough to lead this team. So this is going to be extremely fun to watch in the NFC uh, in the NFC West with those four teams, and probably only two of them would likely could get to the playoffs. It's possible that three of them could, um, with how many? I mean, one winning the division, and then possibly two uh, making it in the wild card. I would assume actually three teams from this division making it to the playoffs. All four is highly unlikely, but it it would be fun to watch and see if if all four possibly could because they're all on the rise in my opinion so this will be a lot of fun but all right so that was one of the big uh, quarterback news things that I wanted to talk about from a couple of weeks ago here's some more recent ones that we can uh, get up to date with and the first one that we got to start with it's they call it the QB carousel this offseason and uh, Dak Prescott how about Dak Prescott getting a mega deal with the Dallas Cowboys four years 160 million this makes him the second highest paid quarterback in NFL behind Patrick Mahomes, of course. This is in terms of uh, average salary per year. So I think this four-year $160 million averages around 40 to $42 million per year for Dak Prescott, where Patrick Mahomes is, of course, is the, is the what, 10-year, $450 million one. So his is around $45 million per year. But this is, this is a move for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know what was taking them so long. They did two franchise tags, or I'm sorry, they did the one franchise tag, with Dak Prescott because they didn't have that rookie deal of the fifth-year option of a first-round pick since Dak Prescott came out of the fourth round. But Dak Prescott, you saw the Dallas Cowboys last year, even with Andy Dalton, and then when Andy Dalton got injured and they had to go to uh, Ben DiNucci, I believe, was was one of their third-string quarterbacks along with, uh, is it Connor Rush was another one that had to, had to step in? But either way, you saw this Dallas Cowboys team for four games, five games with Dak Prescott, he had a 20-point comeback against the Atlanta Falcons in the fourth quarter, I believe, in one of those first four games when Dak Prescott was there. Dak Prescott is, uh, is in my opinion, a franchise quarterback. Now, I don't know when people talk about, yeah, but is, is he going to be the key that wins Super Bowls? You guys have to realize that there are very few Super Bowl-caliber winning quarterbacks. I mean, you, you go back, there's there's a lot of talented quarterbacks, but not all of them win Super Bowls, and even the ones that do only win maybe one. We saw it with Drew Brees, who recently just retired. Uh, Aaron Rodgers only has the one Super Bowl. Brett Favre has the one Super Bowl. It's hard to win a Super Bowl. It's not just the quarterback. But when you find a quarterback that can continuously win year after year, you don't just give up on those quarterbacks. It's very hard to find a Super Bowl caliber winning quarterback, a Super Bowl quarterback. Tom Brady's just aren't growing on trees. Peyton Manning's don't just grow on trees. So when you get a guy that can win you, 9, 10, 11 games every season, you have to keep those quarterbacks because then once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. I think you find the quarterback that gets you to the playoffs, and then it's just uh, winning a football game. It's one game at a time at that point. So I think this is a great 
Uh, Dak Prescott gets what he wanted. He wants to be one of the higher-paid quarterbacks. He's the second-highest-paid quarterback now, over $40 million per year. There's uh, points when people thought that Dak Prescott should sign with the Cowboys when they were offering him, I think it was like $32, $33 million per year. And he, he said, nope, he wasn't going to sign that one. Held out, got his $40 million per year. So now Mike McCarthy, Jerry Jones, and the Dallas Cowboys, they've got their quarterback quarterback locked up for the next four years and uh and they needed to because we saw how how poor this team was last year without Dak Prescott and they've got the weapons all over the place they got Zeke Elliott who I mean who's been on the decline but I think he can bounce back they've got Zeke Elliott in the backfield they've got three wide receivers in Amari Cooper CeeDee Lamb Michael Gallup they might have to figure out that tight end position a little bit if their offensive line can stay healthy, they got the offensive line. Their offense is set. They just needed Dak Prescott to be behind it. Of course, they've still got a lot of problems on that defense. But if the offensive line stays healthy, of course, cross your fingers that Dak Prescott stays healthy as well after his last year injury. I think this this Dallas Cowboys offense can turn into another top 10, top 5 offense possibly if they get rolling again. So Dak Prescott, he gets his mega deal with the Cowboys. A couple more. Quarterback news, Andy Dalton, former backup for the Cowboys. He goes on a one-year deal to be the quarterback for the Chicago Bears. QB1, believe it or not, for the Chicago Bears. They're already tweeting it out, already putting it on social media that Andy Dalton is going to be the quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And, uh, of course, as a Packer fan, this makes me laugh. I love this deal. But when you look at something like this with the, with this Andy Dalton move and the, and the Bears going from Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles and... Mike Glennon, and now to Andy Dalton, and all these quarterbacks that they go through. If you want to, if you need a reason for why the Packers drafted Jordan Love, you look right here at the Chicago Bears. This is exactly what the Packers are trying to avoid, where they have to go get like stop stop gap quarterback here, uh, bridge quarterback there. They don't want to do that. You want to be able to go. Of course, not every you, not every time you're going to be able to go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. You're not going to be able to go from first ballot Hall of Famer to first ballot Hall of Famer. But if you can go from, if you can get another reliable quarterback where you don't have to get a new quarterback every year or have to have a quarterback competition every year, that's the reason you draft a quarterback early, which is what the Packers did. Now the Bears are stuck in this quarterback purgatory, they call it, where they drafted the wrong guy in Mitch Trubisky. Now they have to scramble again to find guys until they find their next one in the draft and hope and then they cross their fingers that they got the right guy then you know so this is this is why when when people question why you draft Jordan Love even though and I've had this I've had this this discussion with many friends the Jordan Love pick at the time of course you're like why would we do this we're not going to use him we still have Aaron Rodgers but if you look back what was it 20 uh 2018 2017 Rodgers was having some injury problems and of course, this was with Mike McCarthy. The offense wasn't rolling right. So they're the first year with Matt LaFleur, they get Jordan Love in there. Or I'm sorry, the second year with Matt LaFleur, Jordan Love comes in there. Aaron Rodgers is coming off of a decent year with Matt LaFleur. They go 13-3, and but everybody is questioning it. It was like, are they a legit 13-3? and They win a playoff game. They go to the NFC Championship game. But Rodgers doesn't look as sharp in this new offense right away. He's coming off of two years prior to that where he's a little bit injured. And he's struggling, and, and of course, with Mike McCarthy, leads to Mike McCarthy getting fired, so on and so forth. So at the time, the pick looked like it makes sense, right? Like maybe Rodgers is on the decline. Now, of course, with Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP this past year, the Packers looking like a Super Bowl favorite. And of course, 
coming up short in the NFC Championship game against the eventual champ Buccaneers. Now the pick does it. It's like, oh my goodness, now the Packers, what are they? That pick was wasted. The pick still isn't wasted at this time. And the pick won't ever be wasted, in my opinion, I think, because, like I said, they're trying to avoid what Chicago is going through right now. And so that's why, and, and of course, the pick not necessarily backfired, but they're not going to be playing Jordan Love this upcoming season. I mean, they could play him in the 2022 season, I guess. But if Aaron Rodgers is playing the way that he is now, and I we everybody presumes he will be this upcoming year as well to the MVP level, well, then no, you won't be playing Jordan Love yet at that time. So, But I don't think it not necessarily backfires, but he's just it's just not playing out the way that you saw it in the trajectory they were on. Quarterback was definitely a thing that the Packers needed to consider at the time. So that's why when people say, how can you justify the the Jordan Love pick? Just point to the Chicago Bears or any other team that's been struggling to find a franchise quarterback for years now. I mean, you could think of the, the Denver Broncos in the same situation since they they literally had to trade for or sign Peyton Manning out of free agency. Since then, they've been struggling. They've had a, a quality, a top-tier level defense but they haven't been able to find the quarterback to go with it. Is it Drew Locke? Uh, We'll see. I think they'll give him another year, but this is why you draft a quarterback. You hope another franchise quarterback early so you don't end up in this situation that the Bears have been in for for years and years now. So Andy Dalton on a one-year deal to the Chicago Bears. Cam Newton, here's some more quarterback news. Returning to the Patriots on a one-year deal, he'll get another shot. We'll talk about the, the Patriots in just a second here when it comes up to free agency, but I like this deal. I like giving Cam Newton another shot. I mean, last year, I can't judge Cam Newton off of last year. He coming into a new system, of course, in this unique off in the unique offseason that they already had in terms of with, with COVID-19 and such like that. Also, Cam Newton was out for multiple weeks with COVID. You're not sure how that affected him physically when he came back. So I like this. Cam Newton is is a hard worker. You see all the you see him working hard in the offseason a lot. I think this is a good move for the Patriots on a cheap deal. They can also, with this deal on Cam Newton, they can look for the quarterback of the future, whether it be in the draft this year or they can wait till next year as well. So I like this move, the the Patriots bringing back Cam Newton. Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, kind of like the pseudo starter in Miami last year. Him and Tua kind of like switching off sometimes. They had that uh, weird dynamic going in Miami. But anyways, he signs a one-year deal with the Washington football team. So the Washington football team, they moved on. They did not resign Alex Smith. So he'll be looking for a, a job elsewhere, whether as a starter or possibly a backup. But instead, Washington signs Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is a guy, this is his ninth team now, I believe, in the NFL. So he'll he'll most likely, he could be the starter there, be another bridge quarterback. He's been a bridge quarterback, it seems like, for the last like six, seven years at this point. But he'll be a, a bridge quarterback there for Washington. They could also, they still have Taylor Heineke, everybody's favorite uh, playoff performer this past season against Tampa Bay when he went nuts with over 300 yards passing and that crazy rushing touchdown as well. But so it'll be Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke there in Washington unless they draft someone this year as well. And then last one that I have is Jameis Winston back with the Saints on a one-year deal. We, uh, I think I briefly mentioned, but Drew Brees retired this offseason. I don't remember if I uh, even brought that up last time around. But Drew Brees retired this offseason. So, uh, first of all, great career for Drew Brees and, and first ballot Hall of Famer. Just as a, as a Drew Brees fan, I was sad that he uh, didn't get a second Super Bowl. He's in that kind of like same thing that Aaron Rodgers has been. Like you, you get that first Super Bowl, then 
uh, Drew Brees had that stretch where the team was like six and ten, seven and nine. But uh, so it was sad to see him not get. Every it's just it's hard to root against Drew Brees for sure. But he didn't get that second Super Bowl. But he he retires after this offseason. We saw uh, how he kind of uh, not not broke down. That's the wrong word. But he he lost some of the the strength in his throwing arm. He wasn't throwing downfield as much anymore. And then, of course, the game against Tampa Bay in the playoffs where he had, I think, three interceptions. That uh, That's that's tough to see a, a franchise legend or an icon in New Orleans, for sure, go out like that. But a great career for Drew Brees, nonetheless. But so Jameis Winston comes back on a one-year deal. It'll be a quarterback competition. Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. We'll see how that goes. I don't... Oh, boy. We saw Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback last year with uh with Drew Brees out and it just to me it's it's not the traditional of course starting quarterback that with Taysom Hill they do a lot of option and but uh, we'll see how that goes that'll be a fun uh, storyline to watch during this offseason if James Winston can get back to starting quarterback position like he was in Tampa Bay the former number one overall pick or if it's going to be Taysom Hill and if it is Taysom Hill what kind of offense are we going to see in New Orleans are we going to what is it going to mean for Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas and and all that so that'll be a fun storyline to watch with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill both in New Orleans. All right, here's the big NFL news that I wanted to get to that just happened yesterday, uh, the 26th of March. Draft trades, and this is going to affect the quarterback market even more. I just named, what was it, like seven quarterback news-worthy things right up above there. But we've got draft trades that happened yesterday between the 49ers, the Dolphins, and the Eagles. And this will shake up the quarterback market even more. So let's go ahead and get started first here. The 49ers trade up to the third overall pick from the 12th overall pick with the Miami Dolphins. So 49ers move from 12 to 3. They send a third-round pick this year along with 2022 and 2023 first-round picks back to Miami. So Miami goes from 3 to 12. 49ers jump into the top five, presumably to get one of those top four quarterbacks in this year's draft and, and draft their quarterback of the future. Top four quarterbacks, you can uh, rank them in order. Number one has been pretty consensus with Trevor Lawrence outside of, of one guy. But so we'll say the top four are Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. You got Zach Wilson, the quarterback out of BYU. You got Trey Lance, the quarterback out of, I believe, is it South Dakota State? It's either South Dakota State or North Dakota State. That's something I should have had. <laughs> but then you've also got Justin Fields, the quarterback out of Ohio State. So 49ers they trade up to the third overall pick and the Miami goes back to 12 Miami also adds a third round pick this year along with 2022 and 2023 first round picks the second trade that happened then the Dolphins trade back up into the top 10 they trade up to sixth with the Eagles and the Eagles trade back to 12th the Dolphins have to give up their own 2022 first round pick and they swap third round picks this year so to recap then, this is the, the draft order now after these two big trades. Jaguars at one, Jets at two, that stays the same. The 49ers now at three, they get that pick. They traded with Miami, and Miami got that pick from Houston. So that's how Miami was all the way up to three. Now it's the 49ers at three. Falcons at four, Bengals at five. Dolphins now at six from the trade they did with Philadelphia. Lions at seven, Panthers at eight, Broncos nine, Cowboys ten, Giants 11, Eagles now at 12 with the trade with Miami, which Miami got that pick from the 49ers. Hopefully that all makes sense on, on where everybody is in the draft now. The key thing for me now is 
with the 49ers now drafting third, what does this mean for the Jets in that second spot? Do the Jets now trade Sam Darnold and take, presumably now everybody just watched his pro day yesterday. I did as well. It was fantastic to watch. The quarterback out of BYU, Zach Wilson. Everybody's presuming that Trevor Lawrence is the first overall pick. He's going to be going to Jacksonville. That's almost signed and sealed. Everybody is already in that mindset. So number two now with the New York Jets, they have a new head coach in Robert Sala. I believe this is his third or second or third year now in general manager Joe Douglas. They have a new offensive coordinator in Mike LaFleur, younger brother of Matt LaFleur, Packers head coach. So the question is, do they move on from Sam Darnold, who has struggled with, with, with the New York Jets because of change of coaches and change of offense and just lack of talent around him as well? But the question is, do you move on from Sam Darnold and just start fresh? You have the number two overall pick. You got a new head coach, new offense. Do you start fresh from there? I think that, yes, this is somewhere where the Jets can start fresh. Grab Zach Wilson. I watched his pro day, and I've watched some of his tape. This kid is very, very talented. It's very fun to watch him throw the football. People are, and when when you hear this comparison, don't freak out. Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network and some others have compared him to Aaron Rodgers in not the sense that he's going to have the same career as Aaron Rodgers, not that he's as talented as Aaron Rodgers. They've even mentioned Patrick Mahomes. When they make these comparisons, what they're comparing it to is the way he releases the football, some of the, the footwork that he does, his scrambling ability outside the pocket and being able to make throws off balance kind of deal. That's what they're talking about in comparison with Zach Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. And that's the comparison that they're using with Zach Wilson is he can make all these throws off balance. You see Aaron Rodgers where he rolls left and can still throw the ball back right. Zach Wilson had one of those yesterday in his pro day. Now, you can take whatever you want away from pro days. It's it's There's still pressure to them, but you're not having defenders rush you in the face. It's not in-game. There's still pressure in these pro days, of course, because there's hundreds, and now it, since it's been filled on TV, thousands of eyes still on you, but it's not where you have the, the edge rusher in your face to make this throw. But still, Zach Wilson, when Aaron Rodgers makes those off-balance throws, when he's rolling to his right and he has to throw across the field back to the left and he can make them pinpoint, Zach Wilson has those similar abilities where he can make some of those throws. Now, can he make the throw that Patrick Mahomes made in the Super Bowl where he's parallel to the ground and sidearms it still 40 yards downfield? Probably not. I don't know if anybody can make that throw. That's one of the greatest throws I've ever seen. But Zach Wilson has some of those uh, abilities when he's throwing the ball off balance that a lot of scouts and a lot of people have been comparing to Aaron Rodgers. So for the New York Jets with the number two overall pick, Trevor Lawrence already off the board. It makes sense to me to trade Sam Darnold, see if you can get a high second round pick, possibly a first round pick. Sam Darnold to me is still very talented. I think he was put in a very shitty situation in New York. I don't even know if that came out right, but still. He was put in a bad situation in in New York with the lack of talent in the offensive line just struggling around him. They tried they brought in Makai Becton last year, but still that offense didn't have any weapons around him. The running back position is a mess as well. The defense needs help all over the place. The New York Jets just weren't able to win. So I think you give Sam Darnold a fresh start in a new offense with a new team. You give the Jets with their new head coach a new quarterback that they can work with. And I think it works out for everybody. A place that I think would be great for Sam Darnold to go 
could be possibly the Washington football team. They've been struggling to find a quarterback. They've got Ryan Fitzpatrick there. They can do kind of what the Miami Dolphins did. Um, but that's that's something that I think the New York Jets could do, especially after people watched his pro day. You saw what he did on the field in, in the regular season. For I mean, he was the youngest starting quarterback in BYU history, I believe. So this kid is very talented. And I think Mike LaFleur and Robert Sala, Joe Douglas, that's something that they're going to end up doing. They don't have to trade Sam Darnold before the draft. They can get up to the draft, listen to deals, still take Zach Wilson, and then they can still trade Sam Darnold. But I think at this point, give everybody a fresh start. Sam Darnold isn't going to turn into Josh Rosen where you don't even know which team he's on anymore. But I think Sam Darnold needs to get into a, a clean situation, get him off of the New York Jets, get a clean break for everybody. So that's one quarterback move that I think could happen. Here's the other one with all these trades going down. What do the 49ers now do with Jimmy Garoppolo now that they traded up into that number three overall spot? So with the 49ers trading up to number three, this puts more pressure on the New York Jets whether or not they want to take Zach Wilson. Because if they don't, you know that Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers are most likely going to scoop him up at number three right behind him. But now... The Jets, with the 49ers right behind them, they might feel pressure. They'll take him instead of trading back like they thought they possibly could have. But so now with the with the 49ers, you trade up into the top three. It's not to grab a wide receiver. It's not to grab an offensive lineman. You give up that many assets to get your next franchise quarterback. So 49ers most likely will go with Trey Lance or Justin Fields, possibly Mac Jones out of Alabama as well. Those with what we've been hearing and what we've been listening to and what a lot of people are predicting, those will be the three quarterbacks available with that third overall pick if Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson go one and two. So if the or when the 49ers take a quarterback, you don't trade up to number three and give up that many assets for any other position than your next franchise quarterback, what do the 49ers do with Jimmy Garoppolo then? We've already heard from multiple sources from the 49ers that he is going to be their starting quarterback this year. They don't plan on trading him. You can put an asterisk next to all of that because if someone blows them away with a trade offer, yes, they're going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Other than that, I believe Jimmy Garoppolo will be their starting quarterback this year. But then next year is when they'll trade him. I think it'll turn into an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes type of thing where they move on to the quarterback that they drafted high the next year. I think that's what it's going to turn into for Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he'll be on the quarterback market next year, and that just lines up perfectly for Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots because we've heard that Bill Belichick wants Jimmy Garoppolo back in New England. So we'll see if that turns out that way. I mean, New England already signed Cam Newton, not to be a backup, I don't believe, but uh, I think Jimmy Garoppolo could end up back in New England. I don't think it would be this year, but we'll have to see how all that goes. But that that puts uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's timeline in San Francisco, uh, it, it's it's now in front of you. You can see it with the with this move that the San Francisco 49ers did. Also, everybody that had this rumor that the Dolphins with that number three overall pick would take a quarterback at three, I think this kind of kills it with them moving to 12 and then moving back to six. I think, thank goodness, we can put this to end that Tua Tugavailoa is going to be the starting quarterback at least for this next year, possibly two years. For the Miami Dolphins, they're going to give him a chance. He's healthy. He'll have a full off season, and he's got more weapons now with Will Fuller signing there as well. He's got Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, and that sixth overall pick, which they could turn into another wide receiver as well. 
but yeah, that's all the that's all the big quarterback news going on right now. My 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 thinking is it's gonna go number one overall pick Trevor Lawrence, number two overall pick to the Jets Zach Wilson. My guess is the 49ers go with Justin Fields or Trey Lance at number three. The Falcons then I think will also take a quarterback. I think we're gonna see quarterback for the first four picks in this year's draft. And then since the Jets end up taking a quarterback at two, I think you'll see Sam Darnold get traded. A logical spot would be two logical spots that would make sense for the Jets is to get him out of the AFC. Two teams in the NFC that could really use him, Chicago Bears and Washington football team. I think those are two very uh, real possibilities where we could see Sam Darnold if the Jets take Zach Wilson at number two. All right, a couple more deals in NFL free agency that I want to get to quick since we just had a bunch happen this past week, and that will be it for the NFL news. So Let's start it off with a big one here. Wide receiver Kenny Galladay, former receiver for the Detroit Lions. He signs with the New York Giants for big money. Four years, $72 million. What this deal says to me is this is a lot of pressure now on Daniel Jones and the Giants offense to win now. This offense now is loaded with talent at the weapons positions with wide receiver, tight end, and running back. They've got Saquon Barkley coming back from injury. They have Evan Ingram talented tight end at the tight end position. Then at wide receiver, you've got Kenny Galladay now, you got Sterling Shepard, and you got Darius Slayton. You've got the, what is it, the 11th overall pick you could take a wide receiver there as well or another weapon if you wanted to. Unlikely, but an option there. Daniel Jones now is under pressure, and if he if the Giants offense struggles, then it, it might be time for the New York Giants to move on from Daniel Jones after, I think this is going into his third, maybe third or fourth year now. So this is putting pressure on Daniel Jones in that offense, signing a wide receiver of this caliber in Kenny Galladay. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. We'll see what Daniel Jones and the Giants can do with Galladay now in New York. All right, and then we've also got outside linebacker Bud Dupree, former Pittsburgh Steeler. He had a fantastic year this year. And then, of course, um, unfortunately got injured right before the playoffs. I believe it was something of an Achilles injury. But he signs a massive deal with the Tennessee Titans for five years, $82 million. The Tennessee Titans needed to make a move like this in free agency because they had one of the worst, they were one of the worst teams rushing the passer last season. Bud Dupree and TJ Watt were a great dynamic duo in Pittsburgh. Now we'll see if Bud Dupree can do it on his own without TJ Watt in Tennessee. Hopefully he recovers 100% from the injury that he had that knocked him out before the playoffs last year. But this was a big one for the Tennessee Titans, given big money to Bud Dupree. They needed to do something. They thought Jadavion Clowney could do something for them. He wasn't able to get after the, wasn't able to sack the quarterback much, able to get into the backfield and be a little disruptive, but they needed more production there. So they go out and sign Bud Dupree. Uh, I think he was possibly on his way to the Pro Bowl this year for the, excuse me, for the Steelers before he got injured. Listen to some of this, what the Patriots went on and did in free agency this year. They went on a little bit of a spending spree, and we'll talk about why in just a second, but they signed two tight ends, two of the top tight ends actually in, in all on the market this year. Hunter Henry, the former tight end of the Los Angeles Chargers, he goes to New England, three-year deal, $37 million, $25 million guaranteed. They also signed John U. Smith, a very talented tight end from the Tennessee Titans, he goes to the Patriots for a four-year deal, $50 million, 31 of that guaranteed. They also signed wide receiver Nelson Aguilar from the Raiders and also signed wide receiver Kendrick Bourne. So they have a weapons galore now from what they just signed in free agency. They also signed some defensive players in outside linebacker 
Matthew Judon from the uh, from the Baltimore Ravens. He goes to the Patriots on a four-year deal, $56 million, 32 of that guaranteed. They signed Kyle Van Noy, a former Patriot but was with the Dolphins last year. They signed him to a two-year deal. Defensive back Jalen Mills, former cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles. He goes to the Patriots on a four-year deal. And then they also re-signed two of their own guys in Lawrence Guy and offensive lineman David Andrews, both on four-year deals. So the Patriots here with nine moves in free agency, four of them, I'm excuse, excuse me, yeah, four of them at the weapons position or tight end or wide receiver spot on offense. They also re-signed James White. So now, and, and the reason that the Patriots had to make deals like this is because of the drafts they had recently that were just blowing up in their face. Bill Belichick has been blowing it on some of these recent drafts. Nikhil Harry doesn't seem to be working out. Any other weapons, and I believe they drafted a tight end maybe two two years now, two years ago, three years ago, by the name of Dalton Keene, if that makes sense, if you uh, remember that name, Dalton Keene, a tight end that they drafted, he hasn't worked out as well. So the Patriots had a lot of, of money to spend in this really cap-strapped offseason. They had a lot of cap room, and they were able to make some of these deals, but they needed to make these deals because of the drafts that they've been having that weren't working out well. So the Patriots go on a spending spree with those nine guys right there. And it, Cam Newton's very excited to have some weapons around him. Hunter Henry, John U. Smith, we know how the Patriots love their tight ends. Nelson Aguilar had a really great year with the Raiders. We'll see if he can keep that up in uh, in New England. And then Kendrick Bourne, a nice wide receiver as well to add to Julian Edelman. And possibly, uh, yeah, they'll be getting Julian Edelman back from injury. And then we'll see what happens with Nikhil Harry as well. So the Patriots go on a spending spree. The Packers able to re-sign Aaron Jones to a four-year deal, $48 million, $13 million of that guaranteed. So, I mean, the Packers are one of those teams that were really cap-strapped. They were over the cap limit in terms of amount of money that you could spend on free agents and bringing guys back. They were able to still find a way to bring one of their top weapons back in Aaron Jones. A lot of people, myself included, thought that Aaron Jones would be uh, would be gone, would be something that the Packers couldn't afford, but they were able to get it done. This deal looks like with the way that they set it up, that it's it's guaranteed Aaron Jones is on the team for two more years, and then we'll see what they what they want to do with him after two years because they only thirteen million guaranteed. But this is great for Packers fans, uh, Aaron Jones fans. I know my brother is a huge Aaron Jones fan, so uh, he's glad that he's back as well. I am as well because the Packers. I mean, you have AJ Dillon as your as your second round running back that you'll have. But he's not the same as Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones, you can split out and play in the slot. He can catch balls out of the backfield. I'm sure A.J. Dillon can as well, but he's more of that power running back. But now with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, this is going to be, you got two A.J.'s in the backfield, actually. This is going to be a great one-two punch for the Packers. A.J. Dillon now uh, also healthy fully this year. I think he struggled with COVID last year as well. But we saw what he's capable of against the Tennessee Titans in Green Bay in that snow. So now you'll have Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon. That'll be a lot of fun to watch, and uh, we'll see how that works out for the Packers. So the Packers able to get one of the top free agents, one of their own, but one of the top free agents available. They re-signed Aaron Jones there. A couple more here. Actually, a a lot that happened, but Trent Williams, offensive tackle for the 49ers. He re-signs with them for the largest lineman deal in history. Six years, $138 million, solidifying that 49ers line. They're going to need that offensive line when they draft their uh, franchise quarterback this upcoming year. So Trent Williams staying put is uh, nice to see for them. Tampa Bay, this is kind of big news. They returned all 22 of their Super Bowl starters. 
They have a bit. They sign a Shaq Barrett to a big deal of four years, sixty-eight million. They also get all these other guys back. They franchise tag Chris Godwin, their star wide receiver. They bring back Rob Gronkowski on a one-year deal. Same thing with Ndamukong Sue. They bring him back on a one-year deal. Leonard Fournette they're bringing back. Levante David, one of their stud inside linebackers. And they're also re-signing kicker Ryan Suckup. So the, 40, or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are bringing back everyone from the Super Bowl. They're planning on running it back. And we'll see how that looks. I mean, Tom Brady, still at 43, is a top five, top three quarterback in the NFL right now. So Tampa Bay is able to return everybody even in this uh, offseason where we, a lot of teams have been struggling with the salary cap, they're able to bring everybody back. All right, here's another one, a couple more. Wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, Juju Smith excuse me, he re-signs with the Steelers on just a one-year deal, $8 million. Is he returning for Big Ben's final year? It's possible. I mean, the, the Steelers had to rework Ben Roethlisberger's contract to see what uh, how they could. They were another one of those teams really struggling with the salary cap coming into this offseason. But they're able to bring back Juju Smith-Schuster on a relatively uh, smaller deal. But he also, is this also a deal that he can boost his value for next year's free agency? I mean, he didn't have the greatest year this season with Ben Roethlisberger. That offense was kind of carried by their defense again. Still better than two years ago when they didn't have Ben Roethlisberger. But we'll see if uh, what this kind of pays off for Juju Smith-Schuster, if he can get a long-term deal after this year. And then... Two more offensive linemen things. Corey Lindsley, former All-Pro uh, center for the Green Bay Packers, he signs a big deal with the Los Angeles Chargers for five years, $62.5 million, to help protect Justin Herbert. So the Chargers now have the Packers center and Corey Lindsley. They still have Brian Balaga, their right tackle, trying to solidify uh, that offensive line to help protect Justin Herbert, who got, at, who got hit a lot, and a lot of people got after Justin Herbert, rookie of the year last year so they're hoping to give him some more time to work around in that pocket and then here's one with the Chiefs which was really interesting to me this one blew my mind when it first came out they released their two starting offensive tackles Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher both didn't get to play in the Super Bowl this year because they were injured but these two are studs at offensive tackle for the Chiefs the Chiefs release both of them and they end up signing Joe Thune a former offensive lineman for the New England Patriots, an offensive guard who's been having a fantastic couple of years. They signed him to five years, $80 million. And then they also signed Kyle Long, who came out of retirement after two years, I believe, at least one or two years. They signed him to a one-year deal as well to help build up that offensive line after releasing those two big names. So we'll see how that works out for the Chiefs. But those are some of the big ones. There are tons more of deals that have happened around the, uh, the NFL as well. So we'll see, but those are some of the big ones that I wanted to mention there. All right, wow, Four, I'm sorry about that. 40 minutes of NFL, I could talk about NFL, I could keep going, but those are some of the big things that I wanted to discuss right there. We'll go ahead and move on quickly now with the NBA trade deadline and some major injuries across the league. We'll start with the most active trade deadline that we think we've had ever, but this is in terms of trades made and players traded, but not necessarily the most exciting trade deadline we've had. Some big names, but we've had some where some major names have been moved at the deadline here. But let's take a look at some of the bigger deals that we saw for the contenders this year in the NBA and what that could mean for them going forward quickly. We'll start with maybe the maybe the biggest one. The Denver Nuggets acquire Aaron Gordon from the Orlando Magic for Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a 2025 first-round pick. Aaron Gordon, uh, you might know him best from the dunk contest where he lost two in a row 
to Zach Levine, even though, I, in my opinion, Aaron Gordon won uh, one of those. It might have been the second one. But Aaron Gordon is a kind of a small forward, power forward, very athletic, can get up, like I said, in the dunk contest. Not necessarily a great shooter, but he's one of those uh, athletic power forwards, small forwards that can help on defense, good defender, that can guard multiple positions. So the Denver Nuggets really don't have a guy that athletic that can guard the likes of a Kawhi Leonard, of a Paul George, of a LeBron James, of those caliber guys in the West. And those are positions where the Nuggets have struggled when they face some of these top teams. So Aaron Gordon could help them in that sense. Is it a move that necessarily puts them over the top in the West? I don't know if it necessarily does that. Aaron Gordon has been playing on the Magic for a while. They've made the playoffs maybe the past two years. But Aaron Gordon is not the guy that's going to tip the scales in favor of the Denver Nuggets. He'll help them. He improves their team, no doubt about it. But this doesn't put the Nuggets over the top of the Los Angeles Lakers when healthy, which we'll discuss in a second, or the Los Angeles Clippers, in my opinion. It definitely improves them. It's a good deal that they made. It's not a tipping the scales balance. All of a sudden, whoa, Denver is the new favorite in in the Western Conference to go to the NBA Finals. It's not that kind of move, but it definitely helps them and improves them going down the stretch here. Um, All right, the Orlando Magic actually continue with a fire sale. They're going to go into a full rebuild as they trade away their all-star. I'm going to hopefully say his name right here, Nikola Vucevic. They trade their all-star center, Vucevic, to the Chicago Bulls for Wendell Carter Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and two future first-round picks. So the Bulls get an all-star here in Vucevic. That's how you say it right there, Vucevic, not Vucevic. Vucevic, there we go. So the Bulls get all-star center Vucevic. Right now, they're currently in the 10th seed in the East. What this does, I think this trade will help them solidify a playoff spot. So they have Zach Levine, another all-star. Here's where they're they're looking at right now for the standings. You got the Philadelphia 76ers at one, Nets two, Bucks three, Charlotte Hornets right now, surprisingly, in that four spot. The Knicks, Hawks, Celtics, and Heat round out the top eight. And then you got the Indiana Pacers and the Chicago Bulls at 9 and 10. And then you got the Toronto Raptors, Cleveland Cavaliers at 11 and 12. With this move, I think it solidifies the Chicago Bulls to be in that top 10. And remember, the new playoff format this year for the NBA, the top 10 team, I'm sorry, the 7 through 10 seeds in both conferences will play in a little play-in tournament. So if you get to that 10th spot, you still have a chance to get one of those last two playoff spots. So that's what the Chicago Bulls are going for this year. Also, the Charlotte Hornets, we'll talk about this in a second. They're losing potential rookie of the year, LaMelo Ball, to a wrist injury for the rest of the season. So we could see them start to drop in the standings as well. Chicago making a move like this with Vucevic, and they'll have Zach Levine, another all-star, who I just mentioned him with Aaron Gordon. Athletic shooting guard can put up 35 points a night. I think with those two the Bulls could hopefully stay in that playoff contention, hopefully get one of those 7, 8, 9, 10 seeds that they're hoping for to make the playoffs. So the Bulls make a big move there to get Nikola Vucevic from the Orlando Magic, who are just selling at this point, going into a full rebuild this year. All right, a couple more. The Miami Heat trade for Victor Oladipo from the Houston Rockets for Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and a first-round pick swap. The question with this move for Victor Oladipo, they lose some depth on their team with Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, some guys that were getting minutes, but they get a player, a caliber of Victor Oladipo. He can average 20 points per game. We've seen it. 
He's had a lot of injury problems recently, but hopefully he's getting over them this year with the Miami Heat now as they go down to the stretch for the playoffs. Does this push Miami back into the upper echelon of Eastern Conference teams where it's the Nets, 76ers, and the Bucks? Those are the top three teams right now. Like I said, Miami, I believe they're at maybe what, that nine? They're at that, they're in that eight seed right now. Can this push them back up into that top four? Can they get back up there? They're only two games behind the four seed right now from the eighth seed. Can Victor Oladipo kind of help them along with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, and Duncan Robinson? Can those guys with Victor Oladipo in tow now get back into that upper echelon of net 76ers bucks? I don't know if he puts them in that category of those three teams, but I think adding Victor Oladipo puts the puts the Miami Heat right at the top of that second tier. But you, you can't count Miami out with anything. I mean, we saw them make the NBA Finals last year against the Milwaukee Bucks, who we thought were, were one of the better teams for sure, one of the favorites to make the playoffs out of the Eastern Conference. They also took on the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics. You can't count Miami out in anything. But I think this definitely puts them just below those three teams that I mentioned in the Nets, the 76ers, and the Bucks. So the Houston Rockets also selling off players, like I just mentioned with the Victor Oladipo trade, by trading away P.J. Tucker to the Milwaukee Bucks for D.J. Wilson, D.J. Augustine, a first-round pick, and then pick swap rights. I have no idea what to do with with the picks when they get traded in the NBA. It makes no sense to me. I just know that the teams want first-round picks somehow. But... The question is, Milwaukee Bucks adding P.J. Tucker, what can he add for them right now? They're one of the hottest teams in the league. I believe they were on an eight-game or nine-game winning streak before they just lost the night before. But what P.J. Tucker, he used to play center, actually, for the Houston Rockets, if you remember, when they would go small ball of James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and then they'd have two more shooters, and then P.J. Tucker would be their center. He's 6'7", guarding the seven-footers, so he's a great defender. He can he can body up with anybody down in the paint. So and he's a he's a corner three point shooter, and that's exactly what the Bucks need. I think this is a great move for them. He can help them uh, when Giannis drives and kicks to the corner. He's a reliable three point shooter, and like I said, he's great on defense, and he'll match up with anybody that you want. So this is a great pickup for the Milwaukee Bucks, especially when you consider teams like the 76ers and the Nets didn't really make any big moves. I mean, the 76ers added George Hill to be one of their backup point guards, but I mean, the Bucks. I think, added a bigger piece with P.J. Tucker than the 76ers or the Nets did. So this is a good move for the Milwaukee Bucks here. And then a couple of quick ones. The Los Angeles Clippers acquire Rajon Rondo from the Atlanta Hawks. They have to trade away Lou Williams and two second-round picks. So they lose a lot of scoring with Lou Williams. Lou Williams comes off the bench, averages over 15 points a game. But what they get in Rajon Rondo and what the Clippers have been missing is a leading point guard, someone who can set up their offense where Kawhi Leonard and Paul George aren't just the guys on offense going uh, one-on-one with whoever's defending him at that point. What Rajon Rondo can do, he can find the open guy, he can get guys in the right spot, take a little bit of pressure of the ball handling off of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George because Pat Beverly is not the kind of point guard that they need leading the season. He's a great defensive point guard, but he's not a guy that's going to dish out like Rondo six, seven, eight assists on average per night. So Rondo is a big pickup for the Clippers. A lot of people think this could be a missing piece for them possibly to uh, advance into the playoffs. So we'll see what kind of move this does for the Clippers acquiring Rajon Rondo. Lose some scoring, but I think overall it's a better move for their team. And then two more quick ones. The Celtics acquire Evan Fournier, 
20 points per game from the Magic. He averages 20 points, so he's a big scorer that the Celtics add. And then the Trailblazers, Portland Trailblazers, acquire Norman Powell from the Toronto Raptors, another guy that averages about 20 points per game. Hopefully, what they're hoping for is both of these guys can assist in the scoring for the Celtics and the Trailblazers. Fournier can help out Tatum and Jason or, and Jalen Brown. Kemba Walker hasn't been the consistent scorer that they've wanted, so they're hoping that Fournier can help the Celtics there and, and, and before Kemba Walker gets back on track, but that's what they're hoping where the Celtics, whereas the Trailblazers, C.J. McCollum, just coming back from injury, just put up, what was it, close to 50 points maybe, but it can't just be Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. We've seen that for too many years now. They need more punch. They need it from somewhere else. Norman Powell having a career year with the Raptors around 20 points per game goes now to the Trailblazers. They're hoping he can help with that scoring load, be another uh, someone that the, the defense has to pay attention to, right? I mean, 20 points per game, that's that's a lot, and you're going to have to pay attention to him, take some pressure off of Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. One big note that didn't happen, a trade that didn't happen, is the Toronto Raptors didn't trade Kyle Lowry. Maybe the, the face of that franchise and, and maybe the best player in franchise history for the Raptors is Kyle Lowry. Um, a lot thought that this is the last year of his contract. Would he be traded? Could he help a contending team? Certainly could, no doubt about it. He's a he's a champion himself. Didn't get moved a lot. Thought that he could go to the Philadelphia 76ers. They went with a cheaper route of George Hill. Some thought he could go to the Los Angeles Lakers. They didn't want to make the move, giving up some of their younger pieces. But they also could have used him right now with, well, we'll talk about it in a second. He also could have a lot thought that uh, the Miami Heat, the Miami Heat didn't want to include Tyler Hero, which I agree. I mean, Tyler Hero had a fantastic postseason last year where he was averaging close to 15 points per game off the bench as a rookie. So Kyle Lowry, a big piece that might, would have been the biggest trade piece that moved this offseason, stays put with the Toronto Raptors. So interesting to see if he re-signs too in his last year of his contract coming next season or if he moves on as possibly the, the face of that franchise or the best player in that franchise's history. But another thing that I wanted to mention really quick for the NBA is all these major injuries scattered across the league with some big playoff implications down the playoff stretch, you know? I mean, let's start with with two in Los Angeles, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. LeBron is out four to six weeks possibly since he injured his ankle. He's got a high ankle sprain. This is probably the second most severe injury that LeBron has suffered in his career. He's in year 18. The Lakers have been missing Anthony Davis for about a month already. He's out possibly two more weeks with a calf strain. And the Lakers right now, if we take a look at the standings, I believe they are the they are the fourth seed right now, but they only have a game and a half ahead of the sixth seed. And so with LeBron missing over a month, that's about 15 to 20 games. Anthony Davis missing a couple more. They could drop themselves down to that seventh or eighth seed and we don't know because then all of a sudden they're in the play-in game. They're in that play-in tournament. And now the question is if if hopefully LeBron and Anthony Davis come back from those injuries. But in it could be one, it could be any game where LeBron goes cold, LeBron has a turnover game, Anthony Davis isn't making shots. All of a sudden, the Lakers aren't in the playoffs. So how concerning is it for the Lakers with these two out possibly for a long time? I think that the Lakers, one, should be really concerned about the Anthony Davis injury. It's, it's a calf strain. They're not sure how long he's... Um, they reassessed him today. He can kind of upgrade some of his workouts. 
So hopefully he's getting back to normal with those. But they need him back as soon as possible to right the ship because with LeBron out for those 15 to 20 games, you look at the rest of this Lakers roster, it's amazing. I mean, they just beat the Cleveland Cavaliers last night, but you wouldn't pick them as favorites in many other games against other teams. I mean, you might pick them against favorites as just the teams at the bottom of the barrel, the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Houston Rockets, who have lost 22 straight games, the Detroit Pistons, who almost beat the new uh, the Brooklyn Nets last night, maybe the Orlando Magic. But otherwise, you would not pick them against many of these teams. You wouldn't pick them against the New Orleans uh, Pelicans. We just saw them lose to that. You probably wouldn't pick them against the Washington Wizards. I mean, they still have Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. I mean, Cleveland, I mean, they just beat them last night. So, I mean, I guess you could pick them there. But a lot of these other teams that are not even in playoff contention anymore, you probably wouldn't pick them to beat. So the Lakers have to be really concerned. You don't want to be in that play-in tournament if you're them. You know you're one of the top three or four teams. You're one of the top five teams in the NBA this year. But any given night, any team can win because it's not a best of seven for this kind of play-in tournament. So you'll, you'll have to see. It'll be really interesting how they hold up without LeBron for over a month, most likely. And if they can hold on until Anthony Davis comes back. And when he does come back, can he right the ship in time to save it before LeBron comes back? So we'll have to see how the Lakers can hang on there with their two superstars out for uh, an extended period of time. And then here's some more superstars out. Kevin Durant, he's out with a hamstring injury. He's already missed half the games this season. Kyrie Irving and James Harden, they've also been in and out of the lineup. The big deal here is the Nets are still, I believe they're the number two seed in the East. James Harden has been in for most of the games. He's been holding on to this team and just just pro- propelling them forward. That's the word I wanted. He's made himself a front runner in the MVP discussion as well. But the big thing is, James Harden himself won't win you an NBA championship. James Harden and Kyrie Irving, we're not sure if that can get it done either. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden can definitely get it done. That might be the favorites right there. But would they have the team chemistry in a short period of time for a finals run? That's kind of the big deal that people are wondering with this with these three superstars. And now everybody's like, oh, well, it's just, you just put them together. No, when it comes to the playoffs, you're definitely going to want some of that chemistry to work and, and come together to make a finals run like that. But the other thing, too, about this injury with Kevin Durant is how serious is it really long term for Kevin Durant? He's been out. It's been something that hasn't been talked about a ton, whereas is should we be more concerned about this injury than what we're reading into? He's coming off of a year where he tore his Achilles and missed an entire NBA season. Should we be more concerned about Kevin Durant in that sense rather than him when he'll be coming onto the floor? Should the question turn to will he be coming onto the floor if he comes back, not when he comes back? So that's the thing that the Nets are are struggling with right now. I mean, James Harden has been playing fantastic, but the three of them together, we've seen a couple, only a couple of times they've looked great, but in the playoffs, it could be totally different. So we'll have to see there. Here's another one, Joel Embiid possibly an MVP frontrunner. He's possibly out two more weeks with a knee injury. Um, Hopefully, we'll see if he can come back and return that MVP form. He's been playing great this year. Before he got injured, he was my MVP favorite at the time. Hopefully, when he comes back, he can return to that. And with a healthy Embiid, the 76ers look like the best team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, the Bucs just went on a fantastic run, so that would be a really fun one. But between the Nets, 76ers, and the Bucks, 
if the Nets don't have Kevin Durant and it's Embiid with the 76ers, that looks like it would be a really great series, and Embiid might be the best player on the floor then in that case. So hopefully Joel Embiid, two more weeks with that knee injury. They When when they saw it, it looked a lot scarier than uh, than it was reported after the fact and what we, we learned about it after that. And then two more, Steph Curry. He's out one more week most likely with a tailbone injury. So look at this just star power that we're missing in the NBA right now. And then LaMelo Ball out indefinitely with a broken wrist. He was the easy front runner for rookie of the year but oh man and he was exciting to watch too and i i had my doubts about lamello ball because of all the hype that came in for lonzo ball not as much for lamello but man he was really just balling out for the charlotte hornets he had them up in the number four seed in the east they're still there now but they're going to be missing him possibly for the rest of the season all right, that's all I have for NBA talk. Let's go ahead now and get to the fun stuff with March Madness. We'll take a look at where the brackets are before the Sweet 16 starts today, all the upsets and Cinderella teams that are moving on. We'll also discuss who, in my opinion, looks the strongest after that first weekend as well as we approach the second weekend and, and get to the Sweet 16 games that start today. So the most surprising one right here has got to be Oral Roberts, right? Look at this. I mean, they already beat... Ohio State, that was the that was the bracket buster of, of bracket busters this year. Number 15, Oral Roberts, defeats Ohio State in the first round, number two seed. I had, oh, let me check here. If I'm looking at my final four, I'm pretty sure I had Ohio State. I only made two brackets this year, which isn't a lot for me. But I'm pretty sure I had Ohio State in both of my final fours for my two brackets. So that really, really hurt bad right there in that first round when Ohio State lost. That was a tough one to swallow. But Oral Roberts not only beat Ohio State, then they went on to beat Florida and got themselves into the Sweet 16. So they'll take on Arkansas. This uh, Actually, tonight they'll be facing Arkansas in the Sweet 16. But that had to be the biggest upset of the weekend. Here's a, a couple more. Abilene Christian in Texas. They beat Texas 53-52 in the first round. They got on to the second round where they faced 11-seed UCLA. And so now we have, but then UCLA defeated Abilene Christian. We had a double-digit seed, another one in the in the Sweet 16 in UCLA. But the fun thing about UCLA is, too, they had to play in that play-in game to get into the tournament. They first had to f- defeat Michigan State to get into the tournament. Now they're an 11 seed in the tournament. They have to defeat the 6 seed BYU. They beat them. Then they have to beat the Cinderella Abilene Christian. Boom, now they get to face Alabama in the Sweet 16. So there's two teams... Let me, let me see how many double-digit seeds we have in the Sweet 16. One, two, three, four. We have four double-digit seeds in the Sweet 16. We have Syracuse in the Sweet 16 as well, beating San Diego State, then upsetting West Virginia in the round of 32. Syracuse, Buddy Beheim, son of head coach of Syracuse, Jim Beheim. They've been on fire. A lot of people liking Syracuse now for a possible Final Four run. They've been a lot of fun to watch. Oregon State then, they had to beat, they were a 12 seed, they had to beat 5 seed Tennessee, then they had to beat number 4 seed Oklahoma State in the round of 32. Oklahoma State has possible number 1 overall pick Cade Cunningham. Oregon State able to get past them, get themselves into the Sweet 16 to face Loyola Chicago, an 8 seed who defeated number 1 seed Illinois. So Illinois, the first number 1 seed to fall out which was another bracket buster for me because I had Illinois in my final four in at least one of, actually I had Illinois winning it all 
in one of my brackets. I just had this Big Ten bias, I guess. I don't know. I don't make the rules. I've been watching a lot of Big Ten this year, and they were strong across the board. And so I took that into March, and it really hurt me this year. No doubt about it. But Loyola Chicago beat Illinois, got themselves to the Sweet 16. And, you know, there was a couple of times I was tinkering with my brackets for a couple of days leading up to when it had to be finalized. But there were so many times when I'm like, you know, Loyola Chicago, we saw them make that Final Four run maybe three years ago now. If everybody remembers Sister Jean, right? I believe she's she's she was like 99 when they made the Final Four run. Well, guess what? She was back in the news this year. She was vaccinated. She's 102, and she was on the sidelines in Indianapolis to watch Loyola Chicago. Chicago. I don't know why. It just had a gut feeling that I'm like, man, are they just going to feed off of this? And they did. I don't know why I went against that gut feeling. Note to self, everybody, when you have a gut feeling like that, when it comes to March Madness college basketball tournaments, you follow those because nobody knows anything when it comes to these March Madness tournaments. If you have a gut feeling about something, follow it because it doesn't matter. And that's one that I should have followed. But I just really thought Illinois was going to be the champion this year. Ugh. But so Loyola Chicago in the Sweet 16 with Sister Jean in attendance because all these teams are in Indianapolis. Sister Jean's in Indianapolis. Ugh. Should have followed that one. That's a tough one to swallow. But here's our Sweet 16 matchups then that are happening today. We've got Gonzaga, or today and Sunday, today and tomorrow. Gonzaga versus Creighton. Gonzaga, the number one overall seed coming in undefeated in this tournament. No team has ever gone and through an undefeated season through the March Madness brackets as well. I mean, we saw Kentucky go for it, Wichita State go for it recently as well. Both unable to do so. Gonzaga looking to be the first. And look at them. I mean, their two first games, 98 points in the first game, 87 points in the second game. I think 87 points, I think I read, was their lowest point scored this season. And they still won by over 15 points. So Gonzaga looking really strong. It's going to be Gonzaga and Creighton. And then it's going to be USC and Oregon. That's up in the, is that the eastern? That's the west region. So that's your sweet 16 in the west. Then down in the east, you got Michigan, another number one seed against Florida State. Michigan looking strong with, uh, they've got freshman of the year, Hunter Dickinson, Hunter Dickinson, excuse me. And then Florida State, always a long rangy team. So that'll be a fun one, one versus four seed there. Then the other Sweet 16 game in the East, you have double-digit seed number 11, UCLA, against number 2, Alabama. Down in the South, then, you've got number 1, Baylor. They just beat Wisconsin and Hartford to get to the Sweet 16 against number 5 seed, Villanova. Then to finish out that South, you got Arkansas versus Cinderella. Of all Cinderellas right now, Oral Roberts, 15 seed against the 3 seed in the Sweet 16 there. Down in the Midwest, then, here's your last two matchups. Loyola Chicago against number 12 seed Oregon State. And then you've got Syracuse, the 11 seed against two seed Houston. So if I could repick my Sweet 16 down to my final four, this is how I would do it. I would take Gonzaga over Creighton, and I would take Oregon over USC. That's a 6-7 matchup. USC beating number three seed Kansas. Oregon just destroying number two seed Iowa. If you're wondering, yes, Iowa was my other champion in my second bracket. I had Illinois as a champion, and I had Iowa as a champion. Didn't work out. But so USC versus Oregon, I'd take Oregon over USC, the seventh seed. So that would set up Gonzaga versus Oregon in the Elite Eight. Oregon has just a lot of long 
and they can shoot down the three. So Oregon has been playing fantastic in this tournament so far. They actually had, I believe, was it a bye in the round one because VCU, their first round matchup got canceled because VCU had a COVID outbreak. So Oregon moved on from VCU to Iowa. Now they'll face USC. Then I'll take Florida State over Michigan, and I would take Alabama over UCLA. So that would set up a 4-2 matchup in that Elite Eight. Then give me Baylor over Villanova. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm taking uh, Oral Roberts over Arkansas. Oral Roberts is just having a fun season right now. They beat Ohio State by three points. Then they beat Florida by three points. They're beating these teams close, and they're having fun doing it. As a 15 seed, you have no pressure at this point. So take Oral Roberts over Arkansas. Then down here, got to stick with Sister Jean. Should have done it in the first place but Loyola Chicago, and then I would also take Syracuse over Houston just the way that they've been playing as well. So that would set up Gonzaga versus Oregon, Florida State versus Alabama, Baylor versus Oral Roberts, Loyola Chicago versus Syracuse for the Elite Eight. Here's my here's my new Final Four then at this point. Gonzaga in the Final Four, number one overall seed. Florida State then in my Final Four. I'd also take Baylor in the Final Four over Oral Roberts. I think that's where their Cinderella season comes to an end in the Elite Eight. Then it would be 8-seed Loyola Chicago versus 11-seed Syracuse. And right there, I'd take Loyola Chicago and Sister Jean to make the Final Four again. So the new Final Four for me, Gonzaga, Florida State, Baylor, Loyola Chicago. That's my new Final Four in my prediction there. Now, of course, don't take that with any grain of salt because... I'm sorry, take that with a grain of salt. I said that backwards because nobody knows anything when it comes to March Madness brackets, and that's what we love about them. But that's where I have it right there. But my two champions, as I mentioned, Illinois and Iowa, both gone in the second round, so my brackets are looking pretty horrible. I can get a max of 810 points out of, I don't know how many how many points can you get. I mean, my first round looked great, but then the second round really killed me for uh, for future picks there. But... I always have a lot of fun. We This is one of the things that we do for my fantasy football league is you have to make brackets, and whoever has the best bracket gets to pick which uh, which position they want to slot themselves in for the fantasy football draft. So that's fun. But those are, uh, those are my new Final Four teams, Gonzaga, Baylor, Florida State, Sister Jean, Loyola Chicago. Book it right there for me. All right. All right, so let's move on now. I'm, I'm getting down to the end here with my final thought of the day on the final, final podcast. Wisconsin has officially become a hockey school now. Straight up just a hockey school. I know. No doubt about it at this point. I mean, the women's hockey team behind Mark Johnson have been carrying the, the hockey school program for a while now, but the men's hockey team decided to pick up its share of the load this year, which was so much fun to read about and watch. But the women's hockey team, they won their sixth national championship behind Mark Johnson, their first since 2019. Dominant year after year in hockey for them. They defeated Northeastern in overtime 2-1. to one. So the hockey, the women's hockey team carrying the load. Like I said, men's hockey team picking up the slack this year. They had the number one overall seed, number one overall team in college hockey, men's side, this year. But they did lose in the first round of their tournament to Bemidji State. Oh, it was just heartbreaking, of course. I think it's one and done in hockey that's not like best two of three or anything like that, which they usually do. But men's hockey uh, was the number one overall team in college hockey this year, along with the women's team. So both number one 
officially makes Wisconsin a hockey school. No question, no doubt about it. Doesn't matter how good their football or basketball teams are. This is a this is now a hockey school, and uh, we have to back them like that. But I've I've watched. I went to Wisconsin obviously for for four years. The women's hockey team is unbelievable with Mark Johnson and year after year being in the top two or three teams. They're 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 fun to watch too. Just they're, they're so much faster than a lot of these other teams that they face. And I knew the men's hockey team was on the come up. They were getting better, but this year they were the number one overall team. I'm sad that I didn't get to watch them like I used to be able to watch them in, in college. But and it just of course a disappointing end to the season, losing in the first round nonetheless. Ugh, but still great for for Wisconsin in the hockey, which is now Wisconsin a hockey school. So keep that in mind. <laughs> All right. So then my final, final thought on today's podcast, the Masters is approaching in April. And of course, this will be without Tiger Woods this year after his scary single car crash, maybe about a month ago now. I'm not sure how I missed this. I know this happened when I did my last podcast episode, but I just didn't mention it. But man, it's something that I should definitely uh, bring up now. His health, first and foremost, is, is what we're hoping for to recovery. And of course, so far, we've all read uh, about the good news and the progress that he's made. We know that he recently had another back surgery too, so we weren't sure. We were hoping that with the back surgery and then he was taking the time off to get ready for this Masters that he would be able to play in it. But now, of course, with this with this car crash, that's uh, out of the question and, and not in anybody's mind at all. We don't even we don't care that he doesn't play in this Masters. We want him to to get healthy first. But man, you hope that he's not done after something like this. You don't want him to go out. And like this be the reason that he he had to stop golfing because of a car crash like this. But you you'd rather him go out like last like the was it two years ago now when he won the Masters? You're like, oh, is this is this it? Is this what he's gonna go out on? Go out on top? Something like this? That's what you want an icon or a legend like Tiger Woods to go out on. But first and foremost, right now, of course, we're just hoping for his uh, full recovery, and then we'll see after that if he's still uh, up to play golf. But you hope, I hope as well. Someone like Tiger Woods, uh, this isn't the end. This isn't what stops his career there. But that's something that I hope I was glad I was able to mention as well because I don't know how I missed it on my last podcast episode because I'm pretty sure I was even trying to think of something for a, a final, final thought to wrap up uh, an episode. But it, it works out good here to, to still mention it and, and hope for Tiger Woods' full recovery. But that is all I have for you today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being patient as I got back home to Wisconsin, got to see everybody that uh, was willing and, and safely hoping to see me. I've been having a lot of fun so far back in Wisconsin, hoping to continue. We're here. I'm here for like another like three weeks or something, so I'll probably be doing at least one more podcast episode while I'm here back in Wisconsin, and, and we'll have fun uh, thinking of stuff to do. Maybe I'll see if, if one of my friends or, or my brother or someone wants to do this with me because... Uh, I know a lot of my friends listen to, which I appreciate so much. Thank you again to everybody that does listen. But I know uh, sometimes I used to have friends on my radio show or I started a small podcast back at WSUM as well. And it's just a lot of fun when you can uh, relax and, and you, you really is just talking with friends like in the living room, but instead you got a microphone in front of you. So it's a lot of fun. And so we'll see if I can uh, do anything fun while I'm still back here in Wisconsin. But anyways... Thanks for listening again. Everybody stay safe out there. And that is the final final.